to the Harvest City Podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Devon, South Africa. Get to know us better at harvestcity.co.za or at harvestcitydbn on socials. We are currently going through a series called Work and we hope you enjoy this message. Good evening, everyone. So, good to see you here this evening. So, um, as some of you are aware, probably most of us now, this is our final time doing an evening service here. So uh, we move across to, to Glenwood from next week. Um, so that means it's our final evening meeting here in Trinity uh, at 48 Gordon Road in Morningside. And then we move across, across to Glenwood Prep, uh, 10 a.m. next Sunday. So please bear that in mind. If you come here Next afternoon, the gate will be closed, and uh, you won't be able to get in, and you would have missed our service, because it would have been in the morning. So make a note of that. Uh, we, from next week, we permanently across that side. Uh, no coming back here, no more afternoon services this side. Uh, permanently across Glenwood side, 10 a.m., Glenwood prep. Uh, some of you would know that, because that's where we met before covid and uh, finally, our venues become available to us again, so we, we make the move um, back there. But um, I wanted to just do one thing before we, we move on with the, the meeting. Is, uh, um, Nigel, who pastors Trinity here, um, Nigel and Trinity have been really generous to us to uh, allow us to come to this place. I think when Harbour City was needing a place and there just were no venues available, they really came on board and uh, uh, made this place available to us so that we had a place where we can meet. And Trinity itself is going through its own transition. Uh, this morning they prayed out Nigel. It was his final service here at, at Trinity Morningside. The, the guy who made this venue available to us, he's moving across from this is a Christchurch. Uh, it's moving across to Christchurch in Shlonga. They've been without a pastor for, for a number of months. And uh, so he's taken on that, that responsibility while uh, th- their other pastor, Ed, remains here. Um, but I thought we could just pray for the church, for Trinity. Pray for God's hand upon them. Pray God would bless them. I think they've been so kind and generous to us. They've wanted to help us in any way that they can. They're going through their own transition right now. Um, and I think they need our prayers and, uh, and, and just God's hand upon them. So can we do that, if you don't mind? Um, so, Lord, uh, I just lift up Trinity to you as a church. I thank you, Lord, for the generosity. I thank you, Lord, that they've opened literally their doors of their building to us every Sunday. And so, Lord, we, we lift up the church to you, and we ask you, God, that you would put your hand upon it. We ask you that you would bless it. We ask you, Lord, that you would provide for what it needs, even as it's sowing Nigel to another church. Lord, we pray that you would provide new leadership that would come through. We pray, Lord, that you would just provide stability. We pray, Lord, that you would help this church through its transition. And I think of, of how... Um, your word says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and they've been a church that has given and given and given and given to us as Harbor City. And, uh, and so we pray, Lord, that you would bless them. 
pray, Lord, that you would bless them with people. Thank you that they're a good church. We pray, Lord, that you would bless their finances, that they wouldn't struggle even through transition. We pray, Lord, that you would bless their leadership, that their leadership would be healthy and strong, uh, um, and just that the church would be healthy and strong. Lord, we ask you for that, Lord. We just say, put your hand on this church. Um, help it through a transition. Let there be a, an ease and a grace upon them through this time. Pray for Nigel and his family as they move to a different church and transition to a different community, different kind of space uh, that uh, Nigel will be leading. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd give him wisdom and grace and, and uh, that you would put your hand upon him as he leads uh, Christchurch and Shlonga out of their own kind of difficult space without a pastor for the last season. So, yeah, Lord, we pray for Trinity. We say, Lord, put your hand upon this church and its leaders and its congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we finishing our series on work. We've uh, uh, spent the last three weeks doing a series on work. And uh, this is our final week, and I'm not preaching this week. Um, we've got Callum who's going to preach, so um, I'm going to introduce him now. Um, but Rowan's going to come up and, and read the scriptures. So I'll introduce him first so I don't have to get up again. Um, but we all know Callum, and uh, I, I'm really excited for Callum to preach because when, when I think of this series, I think Callum's life is his message. Um, and uh, just who he is, the way you live, the way you conduct yourself in, in business, Callum. I'm really excited to hear what you say and to learn from you. Um, and so, yeah, bless you. I preach your heart out. We're excited to hear you close, uh, close this uh, series. But Ryan, you're going to come up and read the scriptures. Uh, I'll hand over to you. I'm reading from Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10 from the ESV. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, it, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For a moment, I was like, why, why the pause? And I was like, oh, wait, I've got to get up now. <laughs> um, no lies. That's <laughs> scary. Um, Ro, thank you so much for that. Awesome, and the AV is working. That's great. Thanks, Brett and Mike. Um, 
Great, guys. Hello. It's nice to see you all. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to see all these faces in one room. Um, so, as Jamie said, my name is Callum, and um, yeah, I've been a part of this church really since its inception, and um, I'm married to Ro, um, who was up on worship and just read. She's got a great voice for both reading and worshiping, it seems. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I just wanted to like maybe start off with the posture of how much I care about all these, all of you in this room. Um, and, and I think um, the message that I kind of carry today is something that I, I deeply believe in, you know, and not only I, but this church deeply believes in. And I think it's, it's a message of hope, and it's how we bring that hope into our work, into the work of our hands. Um, <clears throat> and so I've been essentially running through this verse and what salvation means for our work. And, and Jamie has been preaching through this series. He's done um, work as vocation, work as toil, um, work as stewardship and the, the parable of the talents. Um, and so what I was hoping to do today, it is a little bit ambitious, so just uh, hold on to your seats, <laughs> um, is I want to do like just a, a step back and a, and a look at work sort of throughout the scriptures and then focus in onto where we are now in like the time frame of the biblical narrative. Um, and so that's why we've got um, over there on the, the projector those different phases or ages. But before we do that, I just want to pray really quickly. Um, Lord, thank you so much just for relationship. Thank you for relationship with you and relationship with one another and how, how deep and personal that is and how life-giving that is. And um, I pray that as I stand here today and I, I open your word that um, you would use me as a vessel that even through my own brokenness and distorted views that you would bring forth your, your truth and that actually your Holy Spirit would do a work and would, would carry um, your words and not necessarily mine, my King. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Um. <clears throat> Okay, so, um, there's essentially this grand arc of, or the storyline throughout Scripture, um, which starts with the creation, um, and you have the Garden of Eden, then you have the fall, which is basically where mankind allows sin into the world, and then there's redemption, and the new heavens, and the new earth. Um, and where we sit in this timeline right now, historically, is um, between redemption and the new heavens and the new earth. We don't know how long that is, but we know that Christ has come and he will come again. Okay? And so this is where we as like the church really are figuring out, well, what are we called to do between in this time? Um, and so hopefully I'm going to try and, um, and illustrate that a little bit. So there's this guy, uh, Taryn Williams, Cape Townian person. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, Michaela loves Cape Town, by the way. She's from there. And um, he, he has this really great analogy uh, of Scripture, which has really helped me. And he kind of paints it in a way where he says that Scripture is like this incredible symphony of music that stretches across time and space. And instead of one author, there are tens of authors all playing to a similar tune, um, but subtly different through their own brokenness that, um, 
they are weaving this melody into something far greater than themselves. And so you see in Scripture, like um, even in the New Testament through, to, I mean, Old Testament through to New, there's all these references um, that land completely and perfectly. And so Scripture becomes this like divine whole. And sometimes people have thought, well, how can this truth exist if it's been written by man? But the fact that it's written by so many people um, over thousands of years that didn't even know each other. There was like prophecies that then were suddenly answered like, you know, a thousand years later. And if you study that, it's incredible from a data perspective, um, which points to a divine composer who sits outside of time and space and has been orchestrating something incredible. And it's this symphony that I want to pick up on the rhythm of work. Let me see what I did there. Um, <laughs> and um, so today we're going to track the rhythm of work in this incredible story. Okay, so in the beginning, um, as every good story starts, um, when, when God essentially created the world, you know, Jamie spoke about this so well in his first sermon where we see in Genesis 2, like this, or Genesis 1, the Spirit of God sort of brooding over emptiness and a void, almost like a, a chaos of, of matter. There was no order, and, and God essentially creates order out of disorder. He rearranges the material of reality into something beautiful, and he does that day in, day out. Um, and each day, he creates and he crafts and then he looks back and he says, it is good. And he enjoys what he has done. The next day, same thing. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then on the seventh day, he rests. And so from this um, creation story, we find our, our original blueprint for work. That it is something that we were designed to do before the fall, before sin, to create good things, to look back at those things and be like, that is good, and to be satisfied in our work, but importantly, to rest. Um, and if God needed to rest, we need to rest. <clears throat> and so God uses our human labor to serve the world, and we find dignity and significance in our work when we engage all our faculties in this process. Um, and so in some senses, God designed humanity as the perfect custodians of his creation, as like the perfect stewards. That was his intent. And um, when you think about your body, like there's an incredible movement of, of going green at the moment, and rightfully so, because we've distorted so much of like our natural environment. But when you think about your body and how harmoniously it integrates with our world, with the environment, our senses, our biology, our immune systems. Uh, when you walk barefoot on the grass, like this piece of biology is an incredible piece of design that was built specifically to be in this environment. Um, and so God built us as the perfect custodians. That was his design to, to resonate his image and his love and his kindness throughout creation and to join him in, in cultivating it and to rearranging raw material and creating beauty and creating culture. Um, 
But the cool thing is he left it unfinished. So he didn't just go the whole way. He actually stopped and wanted relationship with humanity. Um, so I want to use like this little analogy which I was thinking about. Um, if you took a father who was a carpenter um, and he could go into his tool shed every day and make a great table, a great chair, a great this and a great that. And that would bring him like some level of satisfaction. But now what if he had a daughter that was wanting to learn how to be a carpenter? You see, now this relationship starts to change the game. Um, because all of a sudden there's a father who becomes a teacher. Um, and put yourself in the position of the father. How great to take your craft and to see it multiply and to teach someone else. Um, or then put your position in you know, the feet of, of the young girl um, to actually spend time with her dad making and learning a craft and learning how to use like a lathe or a jigsaw. And years later, she would look back and not just remember the skill which she now has, but the memories and the relationship and spending time together. And that was the beautiful part. It was this relationship with one's father during the, activi during the activity. I mean, I can think back to me and my dad, you know, like being in the tool shed, learning his skills, um, learning how to use different tools. And I look back on those memories now fondly, um, not because I learned a skill, but because I had a dad there in the, in the, in the tool shed. Um, so the word, the, the, the Hebrews have, and the Jews have a word called avoda. And um, avoda is a really cool word because they use it interchangeably between work, service, and worship. And like in the Western world and English, we've kind of separated these things. But originally they used this interchangeably, like I would avoda in the kitchen to make a beautiful meal. I would go to the community center and avoda my community. I would get on my knees and avoda to the Lord, like I could pray. And so this work, worship, and service was kind of all wrapped up in this one word. Um, and I think that's partly what we're trying to get at here, is that our work is service and it's worship. How are we all doing there? We right? Do I need to tell some jokes? <laughs> Alrighty, rather not. I've, I've got some bad dad jokes. Um, Brittles, can you um, play the, the video? So, um, we've got creation and now we move on to essentially the fall. And I think uh, this video kind of describes it a little bit better than what I would. Um, so, we'll, we'll play off this. In the story of the Bible, there are two realms. The earth, where we live, and the heavens, where God lives. And we've been talking about the spiritual beings, the Elohim, the divine council, angels and cherubim, the Satan and demons. And the last character we want to focus on is humanity. Now humans aren't spiritual beings. In Genesis 1 and 2, they're made of the dirt, like the animals. But notice that God calls humans to become something more. He elevates them to live and rule in Eden, the place where heaven and earth are one. And they're invited to eat from the tree of life. And what does that mean, to eat of the tree of life? Well, it's an image of receiving God's own eternal life into yourself. It's about a whole new kind of existence. So wait, physical beings living forever, 
How could that even work? Well, somehow, sharing in God's life transforms our bodies so that we can inhabit heaven and earth at the same time. And it also transforms our imaginations so that we learn how to rule the world like God in the power of love. This is an amazing calling, but humanity is quickly deceived by a spiritual rebel. Yes, he lies to the humans, saying that they can rule and get eternal life on their own terms. And God exiles all of them from the garden. They're cut off from the source of true life. Evil and death now have power over us, and we live in a world of fear, self-preservation, and violence. But God promises that one day a human will come to defeat evil and death at their source and to open up a new way to a reunited heaven and earth. And this promise reaches its fulfillment in Jesus. Right, when we're introduced to Jesus, he's a human, but he's also way more. Yeah, we're told that in Jesus, God and humanity have become one so that he can restore the rest of humanity to its lost calling. And Jesus was tested by that same deceptive spiritual being, not in a garden, but out in the wilderness. Yeah, it tells Jesus the same lie. You could rule the whole world right now if you come under my authority and do things my way. But Jesus knew that that lie leads to death. So he rejected it and was victorious over the spiritual power of evil. And so then Jesus started announcing that God's heavenly rule was arriving here on earth through him. And so he went around confronting the power of death in his exorcisms. Jesus was opening the way back to eternal life, to rule with God and become new humans. Yes, he also confronted our imaginations by teaching how corrupt spiritual powers enslave whole communities with their lies. Lies like, my tribe is superior to your tribe. But Jesus said every human is an image of God. Or the lie that power comes through force. While Jesus taught that real power requires sacrifice and generosity. Or the lie that peace comes through violence. While he said that true peace comes through self-giving love. This is a new kind of humanity. Yeah, a humanity transformed by God's life and his love. And Jesus didn't just talk about these ideals, he lived them out. Yeah, exactly. He brought God's heavenly kingdom to Jerusalem to confront the powers. In fact, that's what got him arrested. Well, so maybe the way of Jesus can't win over evil. But from Jesus' point of view, his coming death was actually a battle. A battle? Yeah, not against humans, but against the real enemy, the spiritual powers that enslave us through their lies. Jesus gave his life and let evil do its work. But God's love has the power to create life, even out of death. That's what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason Jesus is human, but a new kind of human. Yeah, when Jesus' followers met him alive from the dead, he had a transformed body that could live in heaven and earth at the same time. He's like a new category of human, one that can live and rule with God forever. Jesus is the new humanity that we're called to become. Right. He said that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him, and then he sent out his followers to announce that his eternal life is available to us now, in the present. We can experience eternal life now? Well, Jesus said that eternal life is knowing this God of love, so that our imaginations can be transformed as we're liberated to love God and to love our neighbor. And we trust that even if we die, God's love will transform our bodies and raise us up into the new creation. And that's how the story of the Bible ends. Yeah, the ending is a new beginning, with Jesus and the new humanity ruling in a united heaven and earth together.
Awesome. Um, that, uh, the people who put that video together, their name's uh, The Bible Project. They're really cool. You should check them out on YouTube. They're a nonprofit in Portland. Um, and, yeah, I think they do an amazingly creative job, but they've also got a really good team behind what they do um, in terms of the research and understanding their theology. Um, thanks, Brett. <clears throat> okay, so, and there we saw that, like, in the Garden of Eden, man was made out of dust and God's divine image, um, and that we were supposed to rule with the, the power of love, that we were made in the image of God and separated from creation um, to, to steward. Um, but after sin entered the world, our work became toilsome, robbed of its true intent and true purpose. And I just want to say, like, it's quite hard to understand sin sometimes, and um, but I, I'd like to start with, it's, it's not like a crack in a glass or even a disease. It's more like the fabric, the fabric of reality was corrupted, that there was something now missing. Um, and everything lost something, and that absence was the presence of God. Um, <clears throat> and there's this, there's this really cool scripture in Romans 8, which says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. And we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait in patience. Just want to pause there for a second. Yeah. So, God's answer, as we saw, to the situation is His Son Jesus, and and Jesus was the method that God has used to basically reconcile humanity back unto Himself, um, and. And what I, what I love about this is, like, God doesn't just give us a book to learn and kind of work our way up to some form of salvation. He actually trans, he, he enters into our space as a human, as a baby, grows up in our reality, in our brokenness, enters our pain. Jesus died on the cross with a physical body. He was killed. He, he understands... Um, unreturned love, to love somebody but not have that love returned to you. And um, there, I don't think there's anything more painful to the heart than unreturned love. Um, but when it is returned, it is so beautiful. Um, and I think for some of us, we have a father who is waiting for us to return back to him and return his love. But I do want to highlight here that God's redemption plan is not just for your soul. God's redeeming the cosmos. He's redeeming everything in this redemption plan. Um, this redemption story is to bring everything back into order. Um, it is to realign creation um, as he designed it to be back in the beginning. Um, and, and by his grace, he has allowed the ecclesia, the church, not a building, a group of people who are surrendering themselves to Christ and giving their lives 
to be a part of that process of that redemption. He's reached out his hand and he said, through this, my gift of grace, I forgive you and I want you to be a part of the story. And that's not just spiritually or through our prayers. It's definitely that, but it's also through the work of our hands. And this is what I want to focus on now because this is, this is really cool. And this, this shaped a lot of my thinking over the last like five years. Um, okay, so part three, redemption. Um, part of what Ro was reading was out of Ephesians 2, and it's so, it's so central to everything that we've been speaking about because it's, it's from this position of grace and our identity that now we participate in something far grander than just ourselves. Um, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Um, And it's from this position um, of accepting God's grace and knowing our identity that we can walk into good works. Um, and I believe this looks like many things, um, but I want to just touch on three, which I think are quite broad categories. Okay. Um, first one, what we do. Second one, why we do it. Third, how we do it. Okay, can you remember that? You got it? Um, So, first one, what we do. Uh, We do a ministry of competence. Now, I hope that's good English, because otherwise I'm not being very competent right now. (laughs) But we do a ministry of competence. Um, Dorothy says, who's a badass writer, um, she says that the church's approach often to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours, and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he makes good tables. And I love that. Um, what an amazing way to like, love people around you by being competent in your work. And I think we must ask ourselves, are we competent? There's this story in Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, um, where he tells of this pilot Um, what's his name, David Cronin, um, in 1989 on flight 887 from Honolulu to New Zealand. And uh, this pilot, David Cronin, had 38 years of experience. And they were basically taking off from Honolulu. They got to 22,000 feet, and the cargo door blew off. It, It broke, and it got sucked out, and nine people lost their lives because they were sucked out at that moment. Um... And this is an, a Boeing 747. Um, and the story is how he handled that situation. Um, and so I'm just going to read a little excerpt. It says, To compensate for the lack of thrust from the two right engines, which had been destroyed during the process, he struggled to hold the control column steady with his hands while using his feet to stabilize the plane. His stickiest problem, however, was deciding how fast to fly. 
he slowed the plane as, as close to a stall speed as possible to keep the air rushing over the plane from further widening the hole in the fuselage. Because the hole had changed the aerodynamics of the huge craft, the usual data regarding the stall speed was no longer relevant. The pilot, knowing this, had to use his best judgment. Furthermore, since the plane had just taken on 300,000 pounds of fuel for the long flight, it was too heavy to land without collapsing the landing gear. Then he encountered a new problem. The wing flaps um, used to slow down the plane were no longer working. He would have to land the plane at 195 miles per hour compared to the normal speed of 170 miles per hour. The jet weighed 610,000 pounds, well above Boeing's recommended maximum stress load of 564,000 pounds. Nevertheless, Captain Cronin made one of the smoothest landings the rest of the crew could remember, amid the cheers of the passengers. Airline experts called the landing miraculous. A few days after the harrowing experience, an interviewer asked Captain Cronin about his thoughts following the loss of the cargo door. He said, I said a prayer for my passengers momentarily, and then I got back to business. And really, it was that 38 years of experience and competence that loved those, the remaining passengers on that plane. And not only them, but their families and their kids and the generations afterwards. So what a powerful way to love your neighbor through the competence of your work. <clears throat> Trust me, I've got, a, I've got a long way to go with that. There's many bugs that sit in my code. Uh, you can ask Carla or NK. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then why we work. We work as worship. Uh, Colossians 3 says, a letter from Paul to the Colossian church, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who's an old writer from, I think, the 1900s, um, he says, It is not a man, um, it's not what man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no uncommon act. Which I think is just so beautiful. Um, so essentially, when, when we worship God through our work, our Lord becomes the centerpiece, becomes the motivation, becomes the focus. Okay? And that's really hard because I think often what we do is our work becomes the motivation or the centerpiece or the focus. And if we dig a little bit deeper, it's actually us who becomes the motivation or the focus. And essentially, we worship ourselves. And when that happens, we can fall into the trap of instead of serving people and loving people, we end up using people and using God for our own gains um, and it's a really good question for us to ask ourselves, um, who am I worshiping through my work? I'm worshiping something. All of us are worshiping something with our lives. Um, so who is this for and why am I doing it? Um, and I, I'd go a step further to say that all work that benefits the good of society can be worshiped to God. And scripture is not very clear on this, but if your work is not contributing 
to the good of society as a follower of Christ, I would say it's, it would be a really good idea to rethink where you are investing all your time and your talents. Um, okay. So third one, how we do it. And uh, uh, this one, I think, is challenging, but it's a really a bit of a nice surprise. How do we work? We work from a place of rest. And that is something that has set apart the people of God for centuries. Um, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Um, and I know this verse means a lot to a lot of people. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if we like observe the life of Christ, um, we see that he was never in a hurry. I struggle with this. Like, honestly, if I think about my nine to five, somebody interrupts me, I get really frustrated. Like, inside, I'm like, oh, like, cussing inside. And then, but, you know, I got to compose myself and be, okay, like, I, I need to love people. <laughs> and I do, um, and I think, like, even I've, I've, I've shared the story before, but, like, when I get back home in my block of flats, um, I know the route that lets me bump into the least people <laughs> because I'm just like, I want to get home and I want to, to just relax. And I know that if I come in through the right door and I get to the second level, I can bypass a bunch of people who love to chat to on the third level and I go right away along, go back around the back, come back to my house and we're good. <laughs> but Jesus, while doing his ministry, would be interrupted by the centurion or somebody who is desperate for their son or somebody to be healed, and he would go off his journey by two days to meet that person. And so the life of Christ, we follow his teachings and, and we listen to his truth and we see his grace, but sometimes we also just got to observe, like, how did he live? Um, what was the pace that he lived at? And so I think for us, we have to really slow down. Um, and we need to be a people of depth and a people of margin that have time for people. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus says, take on my yoke, he's not saying there's zero effort in here. He's saying, take my harness, it's light. This is going to equip you and it's going to help you through life. Otherwise, the world's going to put another harness on you. And that, that will eventually destroy you. We see um, God resting after his six days of creating the world. We see the Israelites um, Sabbathing as they come out of Egypt. And um, they receive this command to, to Sabbath and that it would be blessed, that that time would be blessed. Um, and there's this distinction again of the of the Israelite people and the Jews being a people of rest, even when the systems and the kingdoms of the world around them were working seven days a week, they were being scoffed because they were like, how can you throw away a full day of 24 hours? That's what a luxurious, ridiculous thing to do. But in their hearts, it was because they believed in the sovereignty of their king that he would provide. Um, and that Sabbath was therefore a day of rest, of worship, 
of celebration and enjoying life. <clears throat> okay, so those, those are the three points. And I did just want to end off by touching um, on the fourth slide, um, which is a new heaven and a new earth. I think a lot of the time, some of us fall into this way of thinking that, okay, I just got to do my time on earth, and then I'm going to escape to heaven. Like, I'm going to kind of go from the one to the other. And what that leads itself to is sometimes a disconnected life on earth spiritually, um, whereas actually what we see the Bible teaching um, is that we have a role to play now, and we're not just escaping this, that we are part of God's plan bringing heaven on earth. And that just puts such a bigger mandate on us um, to love people, to change the way things are done, to, to essentially preview heaven, the way we design, the way we program, the way we do psychology. Um, everything is shaped by that because now we're not just escaping. Actually, we're here to bring about change and to bring about the tangible love of Christ that, that moves the earth. When Jesus died, the earth shook. It, he died a biological death, and he biologically rose again with a new body. And that is our hope. That is our hope that a Christ that was resurrected um, has started essentially a new humanity and that one day he will return. Um, and I get really excited when I think about what a new heavens and a new earth could look like, a restored, reformed creation. Um, the Bible speaks about every tongue and every nation um, sitting around a table together, enjoying time with God in diversity, um, but unity. So not uniformity, but diversity in unity. Um, which I think is so key. And it speaks about cities of gold. It speaks about the most beautiful uh, cities that you can think about. My wife's an architect, and we often speak about this. Like, what does the perfect city look like, you know, that celebrates God and is right with the world, that is inclusive? Um, and I think you'll know that there's this, this thing in your heart that when you see injustices, when you see nations invading other nations and and children and women suffering and civilians and the apartheid, the Holocaust, all these things, there's such a, a disturbance in one's soul about that it's not right out there. It's not right. But in order for us to recognize that something is not right, we also then recognize that there must be a right way. And so what Jesus and what God is doing through this grand redemption story is bringing about that right way. And our hope is that one day Christ will return and he will bring that about in completion. Um, and to bring that down to a South African level, there's a real deficit of hope right now. And I think a part of our mandate as South Africans is when we get dressed in the morning, we put on Christ. And we go out into our workplaces and we love people in a tangible way that manifests the reality that we believe in our hearts. And that this can only happen when we first have that transformation happening internally ourselves. 
We can't go out and preach a bunch of words if we are not ourselves changing from the inside out first. But thank goodness it's not up to us. As imperfect as we are, he is perfect. And through how we work and live, we can manifest that hope. So that is my hope. That is what I believe and what we believe to be the way that the church participates in renewal. Our work is renewal. The work of our hands, the work of our hearts, it's all inclusive. We're not just coming to church on a Sunday, getting through that nine to five, and hoping that we can clock out to heaven one day. <laughs> is that okay, guys? Cool. Awesome. Can I, can I close this in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who deeply cares, that you're not an abstract philosophical idea that we have to wrestle with, but actually you're a father. You, you've given us this idea of a, a father. You've created the family unit. You've shown us the blueprint for relationship and how to love, Lord. And I pray that you would just continue to soften all of our hearts, that we would see you as a loving and caring father, um, that we would surrender our lives to, to what you have said, Lord, to believe in you, to, to actually just give up control sometimes, our independence, our desire to do things our own way and make such a mess. I pray that you would help us just to surrender ourselves to your way, Lord. You have proven to us time and time again how you love us. You have proven it to us in word Indeed, in the real world, as we see glimpses of your beauty around us, King, we pray that today would just be the start of something in our hearts that, that starts to wrestle and starts to resonate, my King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Keller. Um, I can just conclude with this is this is the end of our kind of work series and part of the reason why we've done this well I think two reasons is number one I want to look at work for four weeks because if you think about it it's probably the biggest part of our lives right now if you in the thick of your your working career it takes up more time than any other part um, so it's really important and I think comes highlighted um, that and, and I think the second thing is work is a place, what Callum's alluded to as well, where often we as Christians kind of like disconnect ourselves from. Um, and, uh, you know, so we leave God at home and we go to work and we just do it like everyone else in some sense. But uh, there's a call to competence. Um, you know, there's a call to, to worship. Um, there's a call to, to bring about new creation. And, and I hope as we go from this four weeks of work that uh, there's a renewed hope that we take into our workspace, a renewed um, passion, a renewed sense of purpose that God is using us to bring about new creation even as we just go and write code, or in my case, sell pens, or uh, 
I know, it seems weird. How can you do that? But uh, pen salesman, I literally am that. But anyway, um, so I hope you feel a renewed sense of, of purpose. Like God has been speaking to you about how powerful work can be in, even in our discipleship to Christ. Um, and then finally, just to say as we close, please don't come here next week. I know, I know. Glenwood Prep, 10 a.m. Have a good evening and have a good week. Bless you all.